Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast. We're a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. Well, hey, this week we're celebrating Easter together, and I want to share a message with you uh, that I uh, recorded just a few days ago at our Easter service all about the stone that was rolled away. We're going to look at the significance of stones in the Bible, and I hope this message is helpful for you, and I hope that it turns your heart and life towards Jesus as we celebrate a resurrected Savior. Thanks. Enjoy. Good morning, everybody, and happy Easter. Um, It is a wonderful day to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, and we're doing so online. I am here live with our amazing band. Wasn't that great? Our band is here, yeah. And uh, we have some volunteers running our tech and cameras, and a few of our family members are here in the room to cheer us on. Someone has to laugh at my jokes today, so I'm counting on you guys. I'm counting on you at home. I just want to say happy Easter to all those who are a regular part of our church We're so glad that we can still gather online and be here together, but we also want to uh, welcome anybody who might be a guest for the first time, anybody who might be here uh, joining us online. We are so happy to have you with us, and we look forward to meeting you. Again, there'll be an opportunity to connect with us immediately following this service. Today, though, is all about the empty tomb. I've got this awesome tomb up on the stage. Isn't it cool? The hackers pulled that off somehow in the last week, which is amazing. And uh, we're here to remember the, the empty tomb. The stone has been rolled away, and I hope it's going to stay there. Kind of. There we go. The stone has been rolled away, and that is significant for a number of reasons, and we're going to talk about them today. Here's what I want to do. I want to turn to Luke chapter 24, and I want to kick it off with a few verses that Luke wrote Many, many thousands of years ago, he says this, but on the first day of the week, that's a Sunday, by the way, the first day of the week at early dawn, that's the sun is just coming up over the horizon. It's just coming up in the morning and it says they. Now, who's the they that this is talking about? The they that this is talking about are the women that Jesus loved and the women that loved Jesus. These are women like Mary, I think it was a couple Marys, Salome, and these women followed Jesus, supported Jesus, loved Jesus, and they went to the tomb. And here's why. They were taking spices that they had prepared. These women had to take their own money and their time to get all these expensive spices. And the reason why is because they saw that Jesus' body was buried in haste. It was done very quickly. And they wanted to make sure that they had an opportunity to go back and properly embalm his body. If If you're with us today and you think to yourself, I'm not sure if Jesus really rose. I'm not sure if 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 Easter is real. Well, neither were they. And neither were his disciples. They were hiding in John's house. These The people that loved Jesus most were not waiting at the tomb for him to rise again. They were hiding. They were preparing to anoint his body with spices. And Mark's gospel actually tells us that on the way to the tomb, the women are having a conversation with each other. And they're literally saying to each other, who's going to roll the stone away? The stone was big. The stone was heavy. And they were like, how are we going to move it? Will they even let us move it? There was a guard posted outside the tomb. And so on their way, they're like, who's going to move the stone? But here's what happened. When they arrived, they found the stone had already been rolled away. Can we all say this together? Rolled away. Today, as I talk about Easter, I want to talk about the stone that was rolled away. I want to focus in on and emphasize the stone. The stone that was rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, it says they did not find the body of Jesus. They they looked inside the tomb. No Jesus. His body was gone. The stone was rolled away. Now, you do not need to be a theologian or a rocket scientist to know what this tomb represents, right? Anybody know what it means? 
Tomb represents death. Yeah, if you were to go to a graveyard and there's, you know, stones, monuments that say rest in peace, you know that that is a place of death. The tomb represents death. And death is something that we are all actively, actively seeking to avoid. Isn't that right? I mean, if, if you have a list of things you're trying to avoid, it's right there at the top. Death. What comes under? I don't know. Your ex, your in-laws, uh, jury duty, right? I don't know what it is, but everyone's trying to avoid jury duty. Uh, for some people, it's public speaking. It's like if they had the opportunity to speak in front of 200 people or die, it's a toss-up, okay? And honestly, some of you will know this, but that was me in high school. I took grade 12 English four times, count them, four times, not because I wasn't smart, not because I didn't know what pathetic fallacy was. I, I had to take English four times because I wouldn't stand in front of my peers and my classmates and do an oral presentation. I was terrified of speaking in public. So I don't know what it is for you, but we have this list of things we're trying to avoid, and death is right at the top. And I want to encourage you today to keep death at the very top. Please, wear a seatbelt, okay? Wear a mask, take a vaccine, protect yourself. Whatever you got to do to avoid death is great. But you know, we're all trying to avoid death, and the tomb represents death, but we, we sometimes forget that sin and death are connected. We forget that sin and death are connected. The Bible's very clear about this. Paul says in, the, in, in his letter to the Romans, he says, the wages of sin is death. So when we sin, it leads to death. And he goes on to say later in his letter that all men and women die because all men and women have sinned. Okay? So sin and death are connected, which means that Jesus just couldn't come and deal with the sin problem. And he couldn't just come and deal with the death problem, but he had to deal with both. And I had kind of imagined, when, as I was preparing for Easter, having the cross beside the tomb. Because this Easter weekend, remember two events. The death of Jesus, which is victory over sin, and the resurrection of Jesus, which is the victory over death. See, unless Jesus dealt with both sin and death, we would still be without hope. And so it's not enough that he went to the cross and died for our sins, but he must rise again, conquering our greatest enemies, our sin and death. And this is important to recognize. Our greatest enemy is not um, a bully at school. It's not a political party you disagree with. It's not some country in the Middle East with nukes. It's not a psychopath with a gun. It's not essential oils. It's not global warming. Notice I threw essential oils in there. I don't know why everyone gets so freaked out about them. But anyways, the point is, <laughs> the point is, uh, what was the point? See, nobody laughed at my joke, and so now i got to turn to my notes. <laughs> The point is simply this, that um, our death problem is linked to our sin problem. Our greatest issue is this, and on Easter weekend, Jesus conquered both, okay? This is the center of our faith. This is the center of the world. It's the center of everything. That's why I love the Bible, you know, because the Bible tells the story of God and the story of man, and at the center of the Bible is the cross and the resurrection, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Much of the Bible was actually written long before Jesus lived. The Old Testament, about two-thirds of the Bible, was actually written many, many centuries or millennia before Jesus lived. And yet, each of its pages in the Law and Prophets points to Jesus. It points to a, a, a person who would come and die for our sins in our place and rise again. It's like all of the Old Testament is going, Jesus is coming, Jesus is going to do something. And then the New Testament talks about the church. And the New Testament talks about the teachings of the apostles. And they're looking back and going, look at what Jesus did at the cross. Look at the significance of the resurrection. So the whole Bible is all centered around this, these two events. The death and the resurrection of Jesus. 
And so today I want to take you on a little bit of a journey through the scriptures. Um, because I'm focusing on this, the stone that was rolled away, I began to study in the last couple of weeks stones in the Bible, okay? Stones in the Bible. Now, Israel is full of stones. If you haven't been there, rocks everywhere. And so stones are a really, really, really important piece of Jewish history, culture, and you find references to stones, imagery about stones all throughout the Bible, okay? It's everywhere. And so there are stones in the Bible. Let me tell you a few of the things that stones can represent. Number one, the people of Israel would often uh, gather stones and make what we call a monument or a memorial or stones of witness or testament. So they would build some stones up and they'd be like, this is the place that God did something. And the stones would mark the place. That's really cool. You see that throughout the story of the nation of Israel. We're going to see that today. Secondly, stones are deeply connected with sin. Let me explain. In the Old Testament, when people sinned, when people violated the law of God, when people did the wrong thing, um, they were stoned, right? In, in our modern context, people have been electric chair, firing squad, all kinds of ways that you would take a criminal's life. But in those days, they would take stones and they would, they would kill them with stones. That's kind of what they had at their disposal. You can take that slide down. Uh, we're not there yet. Uh, so we would have these, they would kill people with stones. But here's the thing, stones weren't just for punishing sin, they were also for the forgiveness of sin. So check this out, they would cover sin. The Abraham and some of the patriarchs would build an altar. And later, the priests would build altars out of stone, and they would take, for a guilty person, they would take an innocent animal and they would kill it, and they would offer it as a sacrifice upon the altar of stone. So stones punish sin. But they also were part of the process of God covering sin. That's really important. Okay, so we got memorial stones, we got stones that are connected to sin. We also have stones we use for building almost everything. And so we, we find out in the scripture that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He's like the stone on which our life and our faith is built, the church is built, and we're like little stones, and God's building a temple, a people out of stones. It's, there's all this cool stone imagery. So, what I love about the Bible is that there's all this imagery. And there's also this thing called foreshadowing. I know what foreshadowing is. I took English four times, okay? And so foreshadowing is when the author gives you a sneak peek or hints at something that is still to come in the future. And so as I was studying hundreds of references to stones in the Bible, I stumbled onto, I stumbled onto a story that I had read so many times, and this is something I never noticed, and it's found in the story of Daniel. Now, I'm guessing, even if you've never been to church, you've heard the story of Daniel in the lion's den. He gets thrown in the den, people are trying to kill him, and God protects him and he comes out, right? So that's really cool. <clears throat> but here's what I saw. In Daniel, let me go back to that passage, in Daniel 6:17, and a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. So his enemy is trying to get him killed, and he gets thrown into a pit that's full of lions. Okay, that's the bad news. And then they roll a stone to seal him in there. Does that remind you of anything? <clears throat> Does that remind you of anything? And then I begin to think, oh my goodness, this is foreshadowing Jesus. This is when I get excited about my Bible study because I'm like, okay, hang on a second. What was Daniel doing when they arrested him? He was praying. Do we know anyone else who was praying when he was arrested? And then Daniel was falsely accused. They took the law and twisted it so that he would be indicted and suffer death. What happened to Jesus? The religious leaders, the people who wanted power, who felt threatened by Jesus, they, they had him falsely accused, arrested, and eventually killed. And Jesus' body is placed inside of a tomb. And in the same way, in the same way, Daniel was cast into a lion's den. The stone is sealed up and his death is certain. Correct? Not so. Daniel's enemies, you have to imagine when that stone 
They put Daniel, see a Daniel, and they rolled that stone in front of the opening of the cave. Stone really wants to roll. It's a rolling stone. Ha, 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 ha. All right, there we go. All right, it's going to stay, I promise. Anyways, so they rolled the stone in, and Daniel is sealed in there. His, his enemies who sought his destruction must have been celebrating. That night, the night that Daniel was in that tomb, they were part, there was alcohol involved. I'm just telling you, they were partying. And then, and then Jesus' body is laid in a tomb and it's sealed and they steal it with a signet and the guard is there and, and Jesus' enemies are thrilled. Satan and his fallen angels are throwing a party. The music is cranked. It's rap music. <laughs> I'm just saying that because I know it's going to bother my son. All right, maybe it wasn't rap music, but they're, and they're, just, they're having a rave. Jesus is defeated. His life is gone. We're victorious. But of course, that's not the end of the story. What happens? Well, the next morning, the king runs to the tomb. Daniel, Daniel, are you okay? And he rolls the stone away, and Daniel emerges unscathed. And Daniel is promoted, and his enemies are destroyed. And so I have to imagine that on the third day, as the sun was about to rise, Satan and his enemies, uh, Satan and his fallen angels, they're celebrating in hell or wherever they are, and they're just partying, music's cranked, it's country music this time, okay, I'm making enemies of everybody, and all of a sudden, I got a few cheers, all of a sudden, record scratch, the stone rolls away, and Jesus emerges unscathed. But better than that, he's given the name above every name. And he's exalted to the right hand of the Father to rule and reign. And Satan and his his demons are like, oh snap, we didn't see that coming. What have we done? And they would ultimately be destroyed. Do you see how the story of Daniel foreshadows in such amazing detail what would happen to Jesus? The Bible's great. You should read it. It's It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Today I want to share with you with the time we have left... Um, I want to share with you another story that comes from the history of the nation of Israel and its people. I can pretty much guarantee you you're never going to hear another Easter sermon on this subject. Uh, but I want to talk today about a place called Gilgal. Gilgal. And before we get too far, I'm going to have to give you a little bit of information about this place called Gilgal. Now, Gilgal is a place, first of all, of transition. It's a place where everything becomes new for the children of Israel. It's a place of new beginnings. It's a place of significance. Gilgal is a significant, significant place in the history of the nation of Israel. Can we all say Gilgal? Gilgal. All right. Now, here's the thing. You, you maybe haven't heard of it, or maybe you read about it in the Bible, but never thought about its significance. And so I want to show that to you. And, and secondly, I want to show you how this place and what happens at Gilgal actually foreshadows the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. So Gilgal was their new beginning. Gilgal was the place where their death was taken and their hope and future was given. Gilgal was that place for them as the death and resurrection of Jesus are for us. Let me back up and give you some backstory for a few minutes. For those that don't know, God calls a man by the name of Abraham. And he says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to give you descendants, many, many children, and I'm going to give you a land. And so Abraham's wandering around this land that would eventually become the land of Israel, and that's, we're going to see that in today. But his descendants would eventually go to Egypt, and there they would become a thriving nation in Egypt. The problem is, is that the Egyptians become scared of them, and they make them their slaves. And so the The Israelites, the descendants of Abraham, are there, and they're whipped, and they're beaten, and they're oppressed, and they're crying out to God. And here's the thing. 
As you go through the Bible, you'll see references in the prophetic literature to Egypt. And whenever you see that reference, Egypt represents slavery to sin. That's just an interesting thing to write in the note on the margin of your Bible, okay? So they're in Egypt. They're in slavery. It represents sin. And God sends a man by the name of Moses, and Moses is going to deliver the people. And so Moses is a representation of Christ, our Messiah. He comes. There's ten plagues. He leads the people out of Egypt. This is amazing. Actually, the tenth plague is the angel of death. How about that? The angel of death comes into Egypt. But the people of Israel are told, each family, each household, were to sacrifice an innocent lamb and put the lamb's blood on the doorpost and the lintel of the house. And in doing so, death passes them by. And of course, this is all symbolic and points to Jesus and what he would do at the cross. And so they leave Egypt. They are saved from the slavery to sin. And Moses leads them through the Red Sea. Super cool. Leads them into the wilderness where they receive the law, the Ten Commandments. But God's intention is for his people to not just be free from sin, but to have a new life in a new land. Okay? And this is all symbolic. So God is taking the people from here, and he wants to bring them to the land that he promised to Abraham. And that's where I want to take you to this little map. Um, This is the Mediterranean Sea, and this strip of land here would be the land of Israel. Egypt is down here, and they would have traveled up and lived in the wilderness. And when Moses and his men came, they came around the Dead Sea, and they were going to invade the land. But first, they sent in spies. Always wise to see what you're up against. And so they sent in spies, and the spies came back and said, It's a beautiful land. It's amazing. It's everything God promised. Problem. Giants. Problem. Walled city. Problem. Chariots. We're never going to be able to accomplish all this. And God is frustrated because he's already done so much for them, and yet they won't step into the new life that he promised. So eventually, they live down here in the wilderness for 40 years. And this is important because the entire generation of people that left Egypt, the generation that had scars on their backs from the taskmaster's whip, they actually kept wanting to go back to Egypt instead of going forward into the promise. And eventually that entire generation dies, and now Joshua is going to lead the people, and it's an entirely new generation. And I have to imagine that the Egyptian generation, or so the the generation of Israelites that left Egypt, they must have been hard, tough people, right? And they must have looked at their kids and went, you don't know nothing. You're soft. And sometimes I think that. I'll be honest, right? Because I'm in my 40s now, and I look back at the way I was raised in my childhood, and I think, the good old days. We didn't wear seatbelts. We didn't wear helmets, right? We drank out of lead-lined pipes. You know, we used to run around sniffing the smoke out of the tailpipes of cars. And we're fine, right? We were spanked. Bullying was normal. That was part of your education, you know? So it's like, and we survived through all that. We're tough. And I think to myself, what hope does the next generation have? My kids, your kids, you know, the internet goes off for three days and they'll all be in the fetal position going, what do I do? You know, that's the way I think. And yet I'm reminded that, that God has a plan for the next generation and he will do things through the next generation that he cannot do through the older generation. It actually makes me more excited about investing in our kids, our teens in the future Because God will do something through them. See, we all want to go back to the good old days, but when there's no good old days to go back to, there's only one way to go, and that's forward. And I believe God's going to do something incredible. So anyway, that's an aside. That's an aside to the story. But Joshua is now going to lead the people. So they approach this, the River Jordan. Now, the Jordan River was separating the people from the land that God told them 
to possess. And here's a list of all these cities, and you see the arrows of how they went in and attacked them and did all what they were going to do. But first, they had to cross the Jordan River. Now, the Jordan River in the Bible always represents a place of transition. It's where John the Baptist baptized people. It was like new start, sin, gone, new beginning. Jesus is coming. His ministry starts at the Jordan River. Like so many incredible things happened at the Jordan River. It had to be crossed. Like this side of the river, wilderness, death, no hope. This side of the Jordan River, promised land, future. This side of the river, far, near, you know, Elmo. Okay, so on this side, it's like the promise. On this side, it's death. So it's, it's a mark, a demarcation point. A place of transition for the people. Here's the problem. They had to cross the river. Now, during the dry season, the river would be easy to cross. But of course, it would never be that easy. God is asking his people to cross at the time when the river is highest. Here's how Joshua says it in Joshua 3.15. Now, the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of the harvest. This is when they're there. The river's raging. It's as wide as it possibly can be because the waters are coming through. There's no way the nation is going to cross. The cities on the other side who very much knew that Israel was there, very much knew that Israel wanted to come and take their cities, they were probably like, okay, we don't have to worry about it for a few months. There's no way they're crossing the river. And of course, God tells Joshua, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get the priests to carry the Ark of the Covenant, which was a box covered in gold on on poles, and the priests would carry it, and it represented the presence of God. Inside was the Ten Commandments. And it represented God's presence. And Joshua says, here's guys, I want the priest to walk into the raging river with the presence of God. I can just imagine them getting washed away or something, but that's not what happens. They step into the river, and you can imagine it's, it's got their legs, and they're like standing in the river. And God does a miracle. Somewhere upstream, somewhere upstream, it, the river gets dammed up somehow. God does a miracle, and so the waters begin to recede. And they're just standing there. And so the priests kind of stand in the middle of the river, and the water... Stops flowing. Well, this is awesome. It's a miracle. The people of Israel are crossing on dry land. They go over to the other side. Now, here's what I wanted to show you. When they're going across, God speaks to Joshua and he says to do this. Take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man. One man representing each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Next verse. And command them saying, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan from the very place where the priests stood firmly. So where God by his power stopped the water so they could cross, I want you to pick up 12 stones, one for each tribe. And here's what you're going to do. Bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge. They're going to make camp that night. You're going to bring these stones. So here's my, this is not the Bible. This is my imagination. Okay. Make that very clear. These 12 representatives of their tribe, you got the, the tribe of Gad, the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Dan, you know, and, and the, all these tribal representatives, they go down into the river. And I have to imagine that, you know, somebody comes down and, and they're like, ooh, this is a nice river rock. This is nice. This will work for my tribe, the tribe of Reuben. And of course, someone else is like, take a bigger rock, you know, this is the rock of Gad. And then of course, you know, Dan, I'll pick on Dan because Dan's are awesome. You know, he's just like, ah, you know. And so here are the people that are carrying these rocks over to the place of camp. And here's what it says next. Here's what they were going to do when they get there. And those 12 stones they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at, let's all say it together, Gilgal. Gilgal was their camp. First place they stayed in the promised land. A place of new beginnings. And they carried their rocks, probably the largest they could find. 
and they made a pile of stones in that place. And they did that so that, here's what it says, so that we could give glory to God. He said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Joshua anticipated that 100 years later, family would be walking along and they would see a pile of stones and be like, what's that big pile of stones all about? And here's the answer. You will let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you. The pile of stones represented the fact that God had done something for them, that God had made a way for them to enter into the promise. And here's what they did. They marked the moment. They marked the moment. Do you know how important it is to mark moments? That's why we celebrate birthdays. We have cake. That's why on Easter we have our little traditions where you're finding your Easter eggs or whatever we're doing. Those little things mark moments that are significant. And they marked the moment by creating a a pile of stones that would say, on this day, God did something that we could not do. That's what the stones represented. Today we're remembering the stone that was rolled away that marks a moment in history that is so significant where everything becomes new where everything changes for me and for you and for those who believe. The stone is rolled away, and the stone marks a moment in history when God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. All right, now, I want to encourage you, and that's one of the things I wanted to do today, I want to encourage you to mark some of the moments of your faith. If there has been a time when God has done something in your heart to change your life, to transform you, that you can mark that moment in a particular way that I'm going to tell you about in a little bit. But what happens next in the story is a little unnerving. So I want you to, if you're watching this with someone, I want you to turn to them and say, relax, it's just symbolic. Okay, I want you to tell them that. If you're in the room, just tell somebody, it's symbolic, relax. What happens next is um, God tells Joshua to circumcise all the men of Israel. Um, now remember, it's symbolic. Here's, here's, here's how it says it. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, yes, I'm talking about circumcision on Easter. I'm sorry. A few years ago, I had a, I had a casket on the stage. Uh, there's no line I won't cross, apparently. Uh, the whole nation was finished. They remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. That makes sense. You can get a few days off after that. All right. Um, next verse says this. And the Lord said to Joshua, and this is what I want you to see. Today, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. I have taken away your sinful past. I've taken away the power of sin. Here's what he says next. And so the name of the place is called Gilgal. The word Gilgal means rolled away. And it refers to this time and place when God removes the sin from their past, Egypt, from their past, so that they can step forward into the promise. This is what we're celebrating this weekend, friends. The cross, Jesus took our sin and he was placed in the tomb. And that stone represents the sin that holds us to our death sentence. But on Easter Sunday, the stone was rolled away and God has done it. He has rolled away the stone. Sin has no hold on us so we can step into freedom, forgiveness, and new life. Is this making sense? You see, God, even though they did this surgery, this physical act, which is we don't even like to think about it, it was actually symbolic of what God really wants to do which is to transform and change our heart. He's not interested in doing surgery on our body. He's interested in doing surgery on our hearts. Here's what Ezekiel, the prophet, would say. And I will give you a new heart. This is God speaking to his people many, many, many centuries later. And a new spirit I'll put within you. 
And I'll remove, he's going to remove something. He's going to remove the heart of stone, the heart of sin, the sin nature. It's going to be taken from you, from your flesh, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. So God has always been interested in transforming the heart of a person. Has your heart been transformed through faith in Jesus Christ? Have you experienced your sin and your past being rolled away and the Spirit of God coming to live inside of you? And so I believe that anyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ, in what He has done, His death, His resurrection, that moment that you believe, that moment that God does something inside of you is your Gilgal. That was the place where their sin was taken away and their new life began. And when we put our faith in Jesus' death and His resurrection, it's where our new life begins. Is this making sense to anybody? Let me, let me share with you a cool um, number of things. This place called Gilgal that, again, even if you've been in church, you're probably like, ah, I don't even know anything about it. Gilgal is actually referenced 41 times in the scriptures. It's referenced 41 times. And uh, let me tell you a few things that happened at Gilgal, because I just think this is pretty cool. Uh, Gilgal is a place of transition, as I said. John the Baptist baptized in the Jordan River. And in Gilgal, um, everything began for the nation of Israel. Their conquest of the promised land actually began at Gilgal. And Gilgal also became a place of new beginnings. Later in the story, the people would ask God to give them a king. And Samuel the prophet would anoint Saul king. Guess where he anoints the first king of Israel? Gilgal. Oh, good guess, guys. That's amazing. All right, Gilgal becomes the place. Uh, As the people of Israel are doing their conquest of the land, you would think, okay, they make camp here, they make a pile of stones, and then they move on, right? Not so. They come to this camp called Gilgal, and you can go to Israel today and actually see the place. You can go and see the stones. They're still there. It's incredible. And so they come to this camp called Gilgal, and it becomes their home base for the entire conquest of the land of Israel. They go, and they attack a city, and they come back to Gilgal. And they go, and they do battle. And they come back to Gilgal. Everything they do, they always return to Gilgal. When they've conquered the entire land, guess where they go to divide it all up? Gilgal. Gilgal becomes the base of operations. Friends, if we're talking about our faith in Jesus, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus is the foundation. It's home base for every single person of faith. You don't move on from it. You keep coming back to it. Paul the apostle said, listen, I desire to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What was he saying? He's like saying, hey, we don't move past this. This is home plate. This is where we return. This is everything. And so Gilgal becomes the place where everything happens from. Gilgal was also a place of safety and rest and peace. It's the first place they rested. They had a Sabbath. It's the first place where the manna stopped and they started to eat the grapes and the figs and the the produce of the land. It was like everything was changing. And when the men would go off to war, the women and children would stay safely at Gilgal. When the men came back with their cuts and scrapes, they would all rest together in Gilgal safely. Incredible. And of course, Gilgal also became a place of remembrance. Where they would come to those stones and they'd be like, Remember when we used to be slaves and God brought us across the Jordan and gave us all this land? And this is where it all began. The stone was rolled away. God took away our past and gave us a future. And they would go to that place and they would remember. They celebrated the first Passover in the promised land. Guess where? At Gilgal. It was the place where they began. It was the place where they remembered. And that's why Paul and Jesus told us constantly not to forget to remember the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
To take the bread and the cup and to remind ourselves constantly. It's a place of remembrance. And it's where we continue to come back to. So Luke 24, verse 3. Here's where I want to close. They found the stone. I'm going to put it back. The stone was rolled away. It's rolling away. There we go. The stone was rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. When the stone was rolled away, it represents the power of sin that holds us in a position of death, and it was rolled away. Now, here's the interesting thing. I've read all four accounts of the resurrection of Jesus, and not one time is a person involved in rolling that stone away. God does it. An angel descends. An angel removes the stone Jesus could have blasted it himself, but it was almost as though though heaven is saying, no, 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 he's guiltless. And they rolled the stone away, and Jesus emerges victorious. It was not by human hands, and likewise, none of us can save ourselves. None of us can deal with our own sin or give ourselves new life and hope. It's only that God does it for us. Paul, in his letter to the Colossians, ties all these themes together in such an amazing way, as he often did. And I want to show you this. He's going to tie together the themes of circumcision, baptism, and death and resurrection. All the themes we're talking about today. He says this in Colossians chapter 2. In him, you were circumcised. Relax. It's symbolic. I know everyone's getting worried. With a circumcision made without hands. What Paul is talking about is how in the Old Testament, this physical act represented a spiritual act that God would do in the hearts of his people. Done without hands, done by his spirit, by putting off the body of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. This is something that by faith happens inside of our hearts. Next passage. Having been buried with him. So we're not just, we're not just celebrating the fact that the tomb's empty, Jesus came out. We're actually celebrating the fact that in Jesus, we came out. Okay? Buried with him in baptism. When a person is baptized, it represents that we are buried with Christ in his death. And through faith, and sorry, you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Paul is saying, when a believer is baptized in water and they are submerged, they get wet, sure, but it's symbolic. When a person gets baptized, they are essentially saying, I have died with Christ. My sin has been rolled away by God. And I rise with Christ into new life, new hope, promise, future. That's what baptism represents. So I want to I kind of have three responses or challenges today for those of you who are with us in the room and joining us online. The first is this. If you have never by faith trusted in Christ, if you have never turned your heart toward heaven and said, God, I trust you to forgive my sins. I repent of my sins. And I trust in your resurrection for my hope for eternity. Then you can do that today by literally opening your heart and opening your lips and saying, God, I trust you. Jesus, what you did is enough. And when you do that by faith, God will begin to transform you by his power and his spirit inside. And that is a moment where everything changes. It's like stepping across that river. Old life, new life. And I want to encourage you today to take that step. Secondly, I want to talk to those who maybe have experienced that transformation that God does by His Spirit in your heart, but you have never marked the moment. And I want to encourage you right now to get baptized. Right? Baptism is the way. Thankfully, not circumcision. Baptism is the way that we as believers say, I am buried with Christ and raised to newness of life. And baptism is a way for us to mark the moment. To say... 
Here's the time and the place when I publicly profess that I believe in Jesus and that he has transformed my heart. Here's the place. And 10 years, 20, and 30 years from now, you can come back to that place and say, it was right here. It was on such and such a date. So I want to encourage you to mark the moment. The last group of people I want to address before I close in prayer are those who have been trusting in Christ. Their heart has been changed. They've marked the moment with baptism maybe 10, 20, 30 years ago. And I want to remind you to keep coming back to the empty tomb, to keep coming back to the cross where your sins were paid for, that you wouldn't move beyond the simple faith of what Christ has done, but that you would return to it again and again, for in the power of the cross and the resurrection is our everything. That the cross and the resurrection of Jesus would be your Gilgal, your home base for everything God would do in your life. So today I want to pray a prayer with you as our band returns to lead us in a few more songs. Uh, Father, I pray today that you would, by your Spirit and by your power, transform our hearts and all those who trust in you. Lord, we recognize today that you went to the cross to pay for our sin and that death could not hold you down because you were without sin. And Lord, on Easter 2,000 years ago, the earth began to shake and the stone was rolled away and Jesus emerged victorious, not, over, not only over death, but over sin itself. And I thank you that we have a new hope and a new future. That the death and resurrection of Jesus is our Gilgal, the moment where our new life in Christ begins. And I pray if there's anyone watching this stream today, in this room with me today, who has never made you the Lord of their life, who has never trusted in you completely for their salvation, that they would do so today. God, we thank you that you are so good, that you have done for us what we could not do for ourselves. Help us to live our lives out of your sacrifice and out of your victory over death. In Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for joining us uh, today for our podcast. We would love to connect with you uh, using our webpage or our uh, YouTube channel, Pathway Church PTBO. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. If you're new and would like to connect with us, uh, we would love to get to know you and plug you into our church. Well, until next time, have a great week and we'll see you soon.